Lord, we want to thank you for the way that you love us. And the way that you love is personal to each one of us. And thank you that you call us deeper into that place. Lord, I know that we walk into these doors as individuals, but we come together as a community looking to Jesus. And we walk in these doors with our own stories and our own joys and our own sadnesses. And you know what they are, God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do the work that only you can do in the hearts of your people as we come together in that name, the name of your son, Jesus. And Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right, so last week we began this journey through 1 John. It's a letter written to a bunch of churches, actually. And what, what, what John is saying is that there are people in the churches that actually have left the church because they are preaching a different gospel. They are denying that Christ is the Messiah. They are denying that Christ, his death on the cross was not needed to, to, for the forgiveness of sins, to reconcile us back to God. And so John is coming against them and telling these people that are in the church, you're being lied to. This is, this is not true. This is false, 100%, because Christ is the Messiah, and his death on the cross was necessary. He wants to, he wants to reestablish them in the truth that they already know. He wants to reestablish them in the truth that they've already been living for some time. But it's a truth that they are in danger of walking away from, being lured away by this other faction that has left the church. Last week, we also kind of uh, established a, a verse, kind of a, a springboard or a foundation, if you will. It was... Um, out of the letter, it was chapter 5, verse 19, and it said this, We know we are children of God, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And so as we unpacked that verse a little bit, we said, we know with certainty that we are children of God. Not because of anything that we have done, but because what Christ has done for us. We know, without a shadow of a doubt, we are children of God. And we also unpack this idea of, of that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Not, not just the Middle East, not just those war-torn countries we hear on the news. The entire world is under the control of the evil one. And we see it every day. This, this brokenness, this pain, the suffering in the world, the hatred, all come from the evil one who controls this world. We talked about, it's, it's nothing really new. This has taken place and since history has begun. That, the, that humanity has always been humanity and the human heart hasn't really changed. The human heart is the human heart. Whether you lived in ancient Israel or whether you live in, in Cheshire 2014, nothing has really changed. And the things that are troubling the world haven't really changed. Yes, we have more sophisticated ways to kind of carry those things out. 
but they haven't really changed any because the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now, maybe we can say this. If we kind of push that idea a little bit, a little bit further, we can say that there is a, a spiritual sickness that plagues, plagues humanity. There's a, there's a spiritual sickness that plagues us and it shows itself in many different ways. There are many symptoms of this disease. Now, I would say that all of us don't exhibit all of the symptoms all at once. And some of us have very specialized symptoms, very personal ones that we like to kind of show to the world. But we all have the symptom of this spiritual sickness. And that sickness is called sin. And here's what I found. There are too many people, too many churches that are only willing to focus on the symptoms. They're only willing to focus on the external manifestation of sin. We call that behavioral modification. And at best, it's frustrating. At best, it's frustrating. Why do you think self-help books sell so often, so much money gets pumped into them, and there are always new books coming out? No one has written the book because you get into this one philosophy of self-help and you try it for a while, then, uh uh-oh, guess what? That doesn't help. But then the new guy or the new woman comes out and this one, you gotta have this one. And sometimes the steps go up a little bit, seven, eight, 12. And sometimes we love the ones that three easy steps to the best you. And, And so those are the ones we buy. But you never quite get to the best you because you're always trying to fix yourself and and you can't. There's too many people trying to treat the symptom and not the cause. But we're going to see in the first two verses of John's letter that we're going to look at something that John proclaims as the cure. And that's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the cure for all of what plagues. The Messiah. Jesus has got this whole savior thing going on. And our concern as a church, as the church, is to expose the disease that causes the problems, expose the disease that leads to death. The gospel has, it really has no interest in the symptom. What it wants to do is cure this pandemic disease called sin. That's what it wants to get to the root to. And sin... Sin is just making something other than God the most important thing in your life. And so we are all guilty of it. Sin is making your job, your money, your career, your your bank account, your savings account, your happiness, your pleasure, your desire, making anything more important than Christ. That is sin. And to make anything more important than Christ is to deny him of who he is. And I believe that all brokenness and suffering and pain and hatred comes from that posture of the heart. And the cure is Jesus Christ, the person, the Messiah. And that's that's the truth that John begins in his letter 
You know, there's, there's no greeting to this letter as many of the New Testament epistles have these greetings. There's no, hey, how you doing? Hey, we greet you, I greet you. The saints with me greet you. There, there's, there's none of that. There, he doesn't even mention his name, like, I, John, I am the man, and I can speak to you. you know, there's no, and there's, there's nothing going, there's not, even, there's not even who the letter is written to, man. He just wants to get it out. He launches right into it with a proclamation. Yo, people, I've got something that you need to know. And he just lays it right out there. And so we're going to take a look at the first two verses of 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. I remember John is writing to some people that are going through some difficult times, both culturally and both within their churches. Just like we experience those difficult times. I remember we talked about last week that, that there is a joy that we can have in our lives. There's a joy that cannot be deflated. It cannot be defeated. It cannot be taken away from us. It's a joy that wins no matter what because it's not based on me. It's not based on you. It's not based on circumstances. It's based on Jesus and Jesus alone. And this is what John is going to get at. It's based on the truth of who Christ is. It's not some self-help system that we kind of just we kind of just sprinkle onto the world. It's it's not our job to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. It's not our job to buy the world a coke and keep it company. The real thing is that we would be a witness in both action and word to the finished work of Christ. That's what the gospel is. That's gospel 101. That we would proclaim Jesus and Jesus alone. And if John is retelling this, reestablishing the gospel message of what the truth really is, of fighting against what these people are trying to, to integrate into the church, he starts by telling them this, this, isn't, this isn't hearsay. Okay, this isn't a story that was passed down from one person to another person to another person to another person that I kind of found out by listening to another person. He is bold and straightforward and declares the truth that the gospel is a manifestation of a life, the life of God. He's come to us physically here on earth. And something we like to call, in theological terms, the incarnation, which means that God became man. 100% God, 100% man, Jesus Christ. And that's what he's proclaiming. And he writes from a, a very personal, very personal place. The truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus, is just not speculation, it's not a philosophy. It's, it's, it's not something that man has made up or thought up or meditated on and, it, and, it's, and it's come to him. It's, it's not, there are, there are way too many people in the world, in our country, that look to Jesus just as another outlook on life. 
just as another philosophy to be added or subtracted from or to, or to added to, you know, to, to kind of get this whole, um, whole plethora of things together. And if you add a little this and you add a little that and you add this philosophy and that philosophy and this outlook and that outlook, then, then if you add all this stuff together and you really kind of press it in and live it well, then you can be the best you that you can be. And we create these philosophies. We create these ideologies and we create these ideas. And I'm talking about Christians in the church. And the danger of that is that if we, we're in, we're in danger of elevating our own philosophy, our own meditation, our own outlook, our own ideas, even our own theologies over who Christ is. And at best, that's going to get us in trouble. John is not meditating on anything here. He is not philosophizing about anything. He's declaring, he's announcing, he's telling them what we have heard. John has heard the voice of Jesus. The words come right out of his mouth. He's heard them. Just like you're hearing me now, John has heard the word of God come out of the mouth of God. And he has seen Jesus with his own eyes seen the miracles that Jesus did with his own eyes. Just like you're seeing me now. Though I haven't made a miracle yet today, but give me time. But, he, but he's seen him just like you're seeing me now. And he says his hands have touched. He touched Jesus, the son of God. He hugged him. He put his arms around him. I can imagine Jesus, Jesus slapping him on the back, maybe on the back of the head once in a while so he gets it. But he has touched him. He, he leaned against his chest at dinner. He passed him the string beans. Do, do you see there's a difference going on here? This is what John is proclaiming. It's a life. It's physical life. He has seen. He has heard. He has touched Jesus it's not a philosophy. It's not a meditation. It's not an outlook. It's a person. And he proclaims that. Physical, physical life and the word of life. When he uses that, that idea, he proclaimed concerning the word of life. It goes back to his gospel. It says, in the beginning was the word, the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. John speaks from a eyewitness, authoritative place, firsthand knowledge. And so maybe you're thinking, well, you know, Dennis, um, John had all that cool stuff going on, and he looked, and he touched, and he saw, and, 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 but, but I have my own personal spiritual experiences. That's what I, I base my faith on. Or, or maybe, maybe somebody has shared some things for you during a, to you uh, during a very difficult time in your life and it just kind of made sense to you and it just kind of it soothed what was broken or what was going on inside you. We've all had those experiences. But let me say this about that. As important as those experiences are that we've had with Christ, that we've had in the, in the spiritual sense, it's important that we do not base the truth or the certainty of our faith on just our experiences. 
Because if we are, we're in danger of basing the truth of Christ or our faith on something that's subjective. Our subjective moods or our circumstances that are forever changing. They're forever ebbing and flowing. We have good moods. We have bad moods. We have good times. We have bad times. I bet you for most of us, we can go through a good mood, a bad mood, a bad time, and a good time before lunch on any given day. And so those things just kind of ebb and flow and, and, and it changes for us. And we can experience the same situation and, and have it affect us differently. We can experience the same thing, say, at our job. And something comes down the pike and we have to deal with it, but we're in a good mood today. And then we, we handle that situation very differently from the same time, the same thing that happens the next day, but we're kind of crabby that day. And it just affects us completely different. And so we can't just base the truth of our faith on our own experiences. We base it on this testimony. What was heard, what was seen, and what was touched. That's what we base our faith on. Because if this report is not true, if this is a lie, if the facts aren't the facts, we've got nothing at all. It all falls apart. Following Jesus is not a philosophy. Following Jesus is not an outlook on life. There are plenty of good philosophies that you can kind of subscribe to in your life, and that might even do you some good. You know, democracy and justice and, and what else? There? Education, those are all really good things that you can kind of come under the banner of. But following Christ is not a philosophy. It's not an outlook. You are following a person. And our posture needs to be that we accept and believe the testimony of those things that have been reported. That we believe this to be true. Historical eyewitness. What was seen, what was heard, what was touched. Because if we take that away, what do we know about Jesus? If we take that away, what do we have? We know the person of Christ through the eyewitness accounts that have been written in the scripture, in this, these sacred texts. And either, either we accept it all or we accept none of it. Because if we're going to try to pick and choose, we're going to get ourselves in a lot of trouble. That which was from the beginning. It's the way John begins his letter. That which was from the beginning. He's talking about Jesus, this flesh. God comes into the world from the beginning. You know, time is a very interesting dynamic for us. Um, we are, well, most of us here are alive this morning. And we live in, we live in time. We live in this thing called time, and time for us only moves forward in our reality. We wish it can go backwards, but it doesn't. It always marches forward. And so our understanding of time is, is limited. And then God created time so that we can enter into it and, and we can live through it, but it's, it's really limited. And eternity, it would make sense that if we have a very limited understanding of time, then we have a very limited understanding of eternity, of, of this idea of forever. Forever didn't have a beginning and then goes on forever. Forever has just always been forever. 
Wrap your mind around that for lunchtime. And so eternity hasn't begun. It's always been. And what John is saying, that that, that, that which was from the beginning, which has no beginning... And I know that sounds whack, but that's kind of the best way we can understand the mystery of it, that Jesus came from eternity, entered into time to be with us. That which was from the beginning, that which was in eternity had come out of eternity, and that person is Christ, a person, not a philosophy, not an outlook. And Christ was seen and Christ was heard, and Christ was touched. They looked at him, and they looked at him. Now, now that, the idea of, it says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at. Now, it might seem like he's saying the same thing. Well, we've seen him with our eyes, and we looked at him. But there's something very different going on. He's not repeating himself. To see with, your, to see with our eyes, to see with your eyes as well, just like we said, you are seeing me standing before you right now. And if you look around, you will see other people here this morning. But what John is saying, yes, we have seen him with our eyes, but we also have looked into it. We have, we have investigated it, not just briefly, but deeply. We have, we have uh, carefully watched. We've paid attention. We've examined it. We've tested it. We have engaged this person of Christ with everything that we are. And this is what we want to proclaim to you. This is what he wants to tell the church. And this is the message of the message of the gospel. God leaves eternity in Jesus Christ, comes to earth, lives with us here, teaches us, shows us, and then returns to eternity. That's the simplicity of the gospel. That he would, God, choose to come onto this planet where humanity has lived and all of the brokenness and pain and suffering and hatred and war in the middle of all the junk and all the garbage, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came here. And John says, I've seen it. I've heard it. I've touched him. I've wrestled with it. I've looked into it deeply. And this is what I proclaim to you. That God has not only changed everything, he's changed us. That he wants to continue to change you. And that is the truth. And not what other people say. Not what these other people are trying to teach in the church. That Jesus is not the Messiah. That Christ came, God came in the flesh. This idea of the word of life, eternal life, he says, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Jesus came not only to reveal to us eternal life, life with the Father. He didn't just come to, to kind of show it to us. And we know that the life of God is revealed through Christ. We could see that in Colossians chapter one. But it doesn't just stop at the revelation of life. 
Jesus came so that he could, he could give it to us, that, we, that, that he makes it possible for all men and for all women to have this life, eternal life. Calvin wrote, and, and don't, don't, don't get too excited, my Calvinist friends, and don't get too worried, my Arminian brothers and sisters. I believe I am a Calminian, and so I rub elbows with both Arminius and Calvin. But Calvin wrote, and if you don't understand that good, then you don't even have to enter the debate. Calvin wrote <laughs> that the Son of God became the Son of Man so that sinful sons of men could become sons of God. Let me say that again. That the Son of God, Jesus Christ, became the son of man so that sinful sons of men could become sons of God. And therein lies the good news of the gospel. And it's always been Jesus. It's always been Jesus. And this eternal life, this word of life, is not just for when we're dead. It's for right now, today, God has given us life for today. And we can take part in this divine life of God right now. We can enter into eternal life, the stream of eternal life right now. It's for today. Do you understand that? I can't say that enough, that God's eternal life is for now. And yes, we have the reward when we die. And we will be with him forever, but we don't have to wait to walk in the divine nature, the God life today, because, because that life was Christ, and Christ came into the world. Christ came into the world and showed us what the life was. And we can become partakers of the divine nature of Jesus Christ in all of its fullness and all of its meaning. Today, today. That's what this idea of, of sanctification is, that, that it's a lifelong process of, of, of living deeper and deeper in the full meaning and the fullness of who Christ is, his nature. That's what God gives us. That's the gifts. It's for today. And I would say that this is our message to a broken frustrated and dark world that they can know life today. It's our message of freedom. It's, it's our message of hope. And so, you know, let's just let Wall Street do what Wall Street's gonna do. They're gonna make the money. They're gonna spend the money. They're gonna slush the funds. They're gonna do, I mean, I don't even know what all the stuff they do. They're gonna be corrupt. They're gonna be honest but they can do no other thing than what they can do because that's who they are. And, you know, let's, let's, the, let's let the insurance companies do what they're going to do. They're going to deny the claim. They're going to accept the claim. They're going to raise your premiums. They're never going to go down. They're going to cancel your policy. It's what insurance companies do. So just let them do what they're going to do. And let's let, let's let the governments do what they're going to do because a government can do no other thing than what a government does. And they will, they will create the legislation and they will enact the legislation. They're going to make the laws and they're going to charge us more taxes. They're never taxes. They're never going to go down. And they're going to, and they're going to tell us what we can do and what we can't do and that we need a hands-free set for our cell phones and not just put it to our ear, but we can put makeup on or eat an entire breakfast on the way in, in our car, but you can't talk on your phone. And, but that's, that's all that the government can do is be the government. 
See, the world will go on as the world goes on. It won't change until one day, one day God says, enough. One day God will say, enough. It's time. Jesus, get down there. And it all changes. But until that, until that day, we Christians, we will do our best to shine the light of Christ into this world. We will do our best to be the light of Christ to this world. And we will offer hope and we will offer forgiveness and we will offer reconciliation and we will offer grace and we will offer mercy, not of our own, but of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we will proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And so as every human attempt that tries to control and bring order to this world fails, we Christians will believe that Jesus is Lord. No matter what comes at us, no matter what is ever thrown at us, we can stand firm, not in a philosophy, not in an outlook, but in the truth of eyewitness that the Son of God, God himself, came to earth in Jesus Christ and changed everything. He came in the flesh and revealed and gave life. And he's given that life for us here and life eternal. Lord, I want to thank you for this very simple truth that is changes, it changes lives, it heals people. Lord, I pray that we would not take this lightly but it would resonate deep within our souls and that by your grace and mercy, we would be able to proclaim that Jesus is Lord, that we would be able to live those things, that we'd be able to share, not in a, not in a stupid, jerky way, God, but, but in a, in a grace-filled, mercy way, that we would come alongside people and slowly point them into the direction of Jesus Christ, Savior. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you gave your life for us, Jesus. We stand before you in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. Remember, pray for our mamas-to-be and the families. And I uh, will see you next week.